0: And Liza, it sounds like you need a night banana. <laughs> oh, <laughs> am I right?
1: I do. Yeah. I, I need a night banana. Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Coming to you from the Recycle Garage in get it right. Smoky, Santa Cruz, California.
2: <laughs> Choking on an ember. <laughs> yeah. right?
1: Hey everyone, uh, this is Liza and we are back. We took a we took a week off um, out of respect for the fact that so many people's lives are turned upside down right now due to the fires. Yeah. Um, and We'll get yeah. to that, but let's talk about who is with us today. Wearing his... Very very sharp T-shirt. It's knock.
3: Check that out. Yeah. Oh, black like that. lives, nice.
1: but with the black flag logo. I love it. Too. I
3: got Actually a tattoo like that on my black back it is in North Carolina, Carolina, by the way. So this is not some weird co-op bullshit. Anyways, what's up, everybody? How you guys doing?
1: Hey. And uh, let's see. Oh, wearing his motorcycles and misfits shirt. It's naked Jim.
2: Oh yes, I am. I know representing. I'll just say, get out. Get out and have fun. Get out there. Oh do yeah. some shit.
1: And we sure did. And uh oh, looking lovely in pearls. It's Miss Emma. Hello, darling.
2: <laughs> hello. Oh, hello. Marsha, what is your name? I want to hear you say it. What is your name on the Zoom? Marsha Asplaska. <laughs> what was the last part again can I find you on the internet
3: with various salacious movies I, no, I'm happening? sure you
1: can I highly no, recommend sure you, you google that in fact
2: on your parents computer
4: <laughs>
0: yes. I know. yes go yeah. to Mummy's computer
4: Oh <laughs> 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 Marsha Ass Blaster oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> and coming to us from his garage it's bagel
2: Still smoking.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, still smoking.
1: Exactly.
2: <laughs> That's a good hey, one. What? I
0: like that. It, it sure was up at Alice's yesterday. I will tell you what. Oh, you oh, went those up. Those roads are open. Yeah, Skyline's open up that up, wow. up there. Yeah. Oh shit. No shit. Okay. Yeah, but smoky as hell. Well, and yeah. then.
1: Last but not least, it's Charlie
5: and Micah crashing motorcycles and crushing dreams.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I thought Micah taught kids how to ride, not crush their dreams. Oh my!
1: So we had, I think, can you all say we had a good, good day, and for some of us, even a great weekend? Oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was nice to get together again um, with all the chaos going on. Um, it was nice to just have a regular day in the garage. And Emma, you were able to help a kid, as I said, ruin his bike. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about what, what he had?
4: <clears throat> no, we didn't ruin it, darling. You did um, No, it, it actually came out very, very well. I mean, you know how yeah. much I enjoy um, messing about with British bikes. Yeah. And it was a Triumph Thruxton. And he realized that this bike wasn't uncomfortable enough. <laughs> yeah. He wanted to make it <laughs> even more uncomfortable. So we actually put a set of woodcraft clip-ons, which were actually made of mm. wood. And um, Wood. Wait,
5: wait, wait. They, wait, wait, they
4: were wait, not. They were, no. They weren't. <laughs> but I always think it's very amusing that you, you bolt parts on your bike with a name like woodcraft yeah
2: um well yeah, he already had of, um, like a set of clubmans on there didn't he
4: no yeah i mean well, those things sort of upside down
2: does it does it, it this... Clubwood come with those clubman stock or did he already put yes. those on
4: when when the thruxton was introduced um gosh 2002 i want to say it actually came with real clip-ons and then everyone's like, oh, God, this thing is so friggin' uncomfortable. So then they changed to Clubman Bars. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted go back to um, the, uh, the clip-ons. So we got himself a nice set of clip-ons. And, you know, we did a few custom bits on it as well as the Clubman's, and it came out as well as the Clip-On's, and it came out really, really well. He was very, very happy.
1: And I'll say, the the reason that I I was joking that you're gonna um, ruin his bike, uh, I'm disappointed often in choices where people make a bike less comfortable, maybe a little less functional just for style, but you led him in the right direction and I will agree that with the, the methods that you use to put them on and the quality of the products to use, it came out better looking than stock. I agree. Uh, so I, I give you that compliment. Good job oh, thank on that. You.
4: No, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's all very well bolting shit on your bike. I mean, uh, I'm a huge advocate of it, but I mean, anyone can just bolt stuff on a bike but if you can kind of make it work with what you've got, um, Mike always jokes, he said, your bikes are so custom, but you they don't look custom, they just look right. like factories, so you never win anything with them, which is largely true. Cause if you see one of my bikes, you're like, yeah, so big deal, it's a stock bike, you don't Realize quite how modified it is.
3: I think that's like personally, I think that's one of the best ways to make a bike mod- like look like factory stock looking, you know? Like, well, try I to get I, in the I, mind of the designers, kind of like this is like the feel of the vibe of this company or whatever. And I, I
1: think too, when a lot of people when they bolt stuff on, they take the shortcut, and Emma takes the long way around to make sure it's done right and not, not just like safety right, but aesthetically so mm-hmm. good on especially you especially
4: on a british bike you know to to anything english style is is a very important factor in the overall appeal of the bikes mm-hmm. you know british stuff whether it's a car whether it's a motorcycle or you know clothing style is very much a factor there and if you just ruin the look and ruin the balance of it by putting it on something wrong it's it, Making a pretty bike ugly with one component is yeah. really far more <laughs> tragic than making an ugly bike even yeah. uglier. Well, oh, I know about that.
1: So, yeah, you do. So, good job on that. Um, oh, I, cheers. I wanted to uh, talk about uh, the, what's been going on here. A lot of people have been seeing on the oh, news. Yeah. California is on fire, and that is not an exaggeration. There are fires all over California. Like I mean not just not just California but California especially hit hard 2 weeks ago we had these lightning storms come through and lightning is very rare here and it happens to be a very dry summer drier than usual um it, it we don't have any lining. rain we, yeah. we haven't any we don't have rain for months
5: but um, when the lightning was happening it was not actively <laughs> raining it was just lightning just lightning yep.
1: lit fires everywhere that became that joined became bigger and bigger fires and uh, it su- suddenly became a dangerous situation and fortunately for those of us who live down here in the city we didn't get evacuated though it was touch and go it was, it was checking close, in yeah. every day, um, but for all the people who live up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which a lot of our misfits do, and I will say some of our misfits did lose their houses, unfortunately, yeah. there are no lives left. Lost amongst our group or friends that I'm aware of, but um, everyone got evacuated um, pretty in pretty short time, and we're talking a lot of people in many different you know cities and towns up there. Um, and some crazy people stayed behind, and uh, they did so to fight the fires. Um, and for many people, it was causing problems because people staying behind would get the fire get too close to them. They'd call for help, and then. They'd have to pull people off of the lines to go risk their lives to get these people out. And for others, though, there was a code. There was a code that if you're here, you're on your own. You can't call for help, but they're going to do everything they, everything they can to protect not just their property, but their neighbor's properties from fires, from looters, from everything. And uh, fortunately, one of our own, uh, Jim Eckerman, he's one of those guys, and he's with us now to give us report from behind the fire lines. Hey, Jim, how you doing?
3: What's up, Jim? Hey, Jim.
1: Oh, you're still muted.
3: There you yeah. go. You got to know.
1: Jim, you've been posting reports from uh, behind the fire line, and it's been fascinating. And one of the, I'll say, news sources I've been using to see what's going on up there because there's so much information. Um, dude, how have you been doing? How, how's it been through this?
6: I have some really good neighbors. <laughs> um. The fire burns within about twenty-four hundred feet of my home. There were uh, a couple of touch-and-go spots where we were pretty much ready to go. Yeah, so I mean, so the incident started, and we got some help, and I made the decision that if I didn't stay behind to at least like, you know, try shooting some water on some little falling embers or something, mm-hmm. that um, I wouldn't have done everything I could. Uh, a lot of the major concern that the firefighters here had is that we all knew our limits. We knew when to leave. And that if we were going to leave, we were going to stay the hell out of the way. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of safety concerns when you do something like this. I, I liken it to a lot of the times that, you know, both in the service and in the merchant Marine, when you stepped on a boat, there was a possibility that you were going to drown. You know, these are sort of the commitments you make when you do something like this. So, um, that's most of the voicing of concerns from officials. Law enforcement up here was great. Cal fire was great. Everybody would talk to it was wonderful. Um, so what I immediately did is I, I set up a round the clock sort of watch. Mm-hmm. We have uh, one of the most indispensable and invaluable tools that we used was uh, scanners for on the ground information. You know, um, when it was what to expect, you know, We had a pillar of fire behind us. I mean, one of those vortexes that shoots like 2,000 feet in the air, like, holy moly, this is crazy. They hit it with five buckets of water in a row, you know, and we heard Davenport call for resources to take. And when they denied Davenport to hit our fire. It was encouraging when they had a spot fire up the hill and we heard the ground crew, when they asked if the ground crew needed additional resources and we heard them over the radio say, no, we're good up here. You know, these sorts of, this Mm -hmm. kind of information was absolutely indispensable. And the other indispensable thing was being able to get up there in a fashion and in a way that was out of the way. So the motorcycles played a really important part. So, um, You know those of us who ride dirt bikes those of us who get around know that when we're bombing down a road and a four by four or side by side comes the other way we can get out of the way right um there were a lot of actually conversations i had on the dirt roads up behind me where they lit the backburn with cal fire truck taking up the whole road and i just ditch it to the side and i have these conversations with these guys and i go well when are they going to buy you these you know and they're looking at my ktm like like, yeah, that'll be the day and I, I'm like, it's a yeah. perfect recon, it's a perfect recon you know vehicle. It's it's excellent for this and um and they agreed. Like they all agreed like, yeah. And, you know, I pointed out that they let him jump out of a perfectly good airplane, why not a dirt bike? Yeah. Um but anyways, so being able to use those resources was really important. Being able to go get around quickly, get around efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing that sort of happened is it adds and actually, as, as the fire got under control, we got more, and I heard it on the scanner, people were getting nailed for being down on the street, like out of their little neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And what motorcycles enable us to do is go to my neighbors, go, go here, go there. Um, I had friends reach out to me who's like uh, a, a friend of mine from elementary school. His nephew was a few blocks over, but he was like stuck and he was running out of food. He didn't have any food. So one another guy up the street, they lost power up the street. He got permission to raid their fridges. I packed my Alice pack full of food and I took the bike kind of cross country through my neighborhood yeah. and able to deliver him food out fear of getting detained by law enforcement and not having the privilege of being able to stay at my home for stepping off my property. Right. So yeah, one of the guys found a spot fire um, on his mini bike on a 70cc Honda and um they reported it in but they didn't have tools so the rest of the time he had shovels and rakes strapped to a 70 going up the hill with the scanner information we were able to know when all the helicopters were parked for the night i mean the last thing we wanted to do is be in the way and have them drop a bucket of water on us right like so we were able to know and then what we could do is we could go do our own recon on the bikes to see exactly really what the situation was on the ground and and um Because the information you get from the authorities is, get out, you're in the way. Yeah. You know, right? Like, okay. Um, But that's not what we did. Um, And it turned out, you know, we made it. It's amazing. My entire neighborhood, there was uh, not a single structure lost, even though the fire completely torched and burned around a few structures at the top. Cal Fire didn't lose a single one. It was amazing. And let's be clear, the fire is not out. Oh, no, no, 35% contained.
1: Yeah, 35 It's still going. They've just yeah. managed to kind of create a perimeter,
6: but you're in the perimeter, right? Yeah, no, no. That, <clears throat> it, it, it burned at 2,500 feet from us. Most of the stuff yeah. that's on there now is a lot of unburnt fuel that's yeah. still going in Big Basin and areas like that. But at the perimeter is still is now fairly, fairly well established.
1: And you had a system of communicating with all the other neighbors who were there
6: we had different scenarios, mm-hmm. you know, like we had bug out plans. We worked stuff together. There's one fellow that was much about half the distance and, um, you know, we worked stuff out. So I, I had the 24 seven watch going at my place cause I had the people to do so. And that allowed my other neighbors to actually be able to get some sleep. You just, you couldn't sleep. Otherwise you're so nervous that, well, you get burned. So, um, And we had plans like if they we knew by talking to the firefighters what their staging plan was. If they lost the top, they were going to next stage basically, you know, in our front yards. That was the line of defense. Right. So and we knew that if that happened, that the guy halfway up was going to basically run down the hill and like honk his horns three times in succession as he went by. Don't stop. Just go. Take care of yourself. Do what you need to do. You know, so we were on our own, but we were connected and together. Anybody that needed anything, anybody that helped. And, and like I said, we got a lot of that done by zipping around on the bikes because they were low profile, they're light, they're easy, you know? Um, so it was, it was pretty good help. I'm, I'm literally, I'm getting a, uh, a nicer like base and mobile unit, uh, scanning mm-hmm. units. And I'm quite likely going to wind up with at least one helmet with a helmet speaker, a mobile scanner, with extra batteries and then like a two way, two meter yeah, to be able to, to recon and do bike related recon work because I felt that it was so valuable.
1: And I really um, appreciated the video you did when you just left your yard and then you went up onto that dirt road where the left side is burnt and still smoldering. And the right side is all green, nice trees. I was like, Holy shit. That got close.
6: So that was the backburn. Yeah. What they do is on uphill side, they, they cut the brush back for about 20 feet, toss it to the bottom side, and then they light a gentle backburn and then let it go up the hill. Um, the backburn behind my place was really eventful. There were at least two instances where we had um, – it got away from them. The one on the other side of Felton Empire and Fall Creek was sort of like this, this non-event, yeah. right? It, we got a lot of smoke in the evening when the marine layer would come in, but perhaps because it's denser and wetter over on that side right it didn't but uh but that that side went really really well backburns really work but there's a significant amount of risk involved in doing backburns and whatnot in forest fires you know i mean it can can get away from you so um so yeah there it's been interesting (laughs)
1: Well, I, I wanted to thank you for the report. I'm so glad that you're safe. And thank you for posting. It was fascinating to watch, but also good to get that report. Um, like I said, unfortunately, some of our, our friends did lose their houses. A lot of people did. A lot of people's right. lives are affected. I know people who were evacuated and then ended up getting COVID from their hosts who let oh, them stay man. with them. I mean, yeah. it's just been it's just been such a hard year. Just one after the other, but it was really cool to hear your stories and the network of people and the communication you had and the code right. of we're here, but we're not going to call for help. I I appreciate I respected that.
6: Yeah, yeah, and Facebook turned out to be a really uh, excellent media to be able to broadcast this because I did have a lot of a lot of text messages from neighbors. I had a lot of communication. I tried to act as a focal point to reassure different people that had evacuated mm-hmm. that their places were okay. Um, we we had some interesting stuff. Apparently, the <laughs> my, my fellow Tom, well on a little mini bike, mm-hmm. his friends were asking him to check on their places. So he goes, I'll one-up you. I'll go take a picture and send it to you. Well, he takes the picture and then somebody's looking at their ring camera. So they call the cops because <laughs> they think he's some kind of looter on a 70cc bike, right? <laughs> so then all this news comes around right um there was another one so people asked me what'd you do during a pandemic you know during a during a fire evacuation well we were chicken tenders yeah so so we're, we're feeding one flock of chickens and we're also feeding a flock of chickens across the street but the owners over there didn't really ask us so and then the santa cruz county people now they were amazing they had like 200 site visits a day in a truck to come up to the valley and wow. feed left behind animals, which was amazing. But we ran into these people, but the people from across the street ring camera called the cops because they thought they were looters. So then I went down on the bike, and then one of the cops was like, hey, I got a KTM 500, how do you like your bike? And <laughs> we start talking about bikes. Then my other neighbor is like getting some vegetables from a garden in a box, and he's walking across the yard, and they're like, oh, my God, there's a looter, go get him. So, you know, it yeah, was like a chaos. whole keystone cop thing. It was Jeez. awesome because we all wound up at the bottom of my driveway bullshitting for like half an hour.
1: Right.
6: Um, you know, it's but yeah. It was, so there were some really just some stories. Um, I'm really glad everybody here is safe. We have somebody with a trailer in my yard right now who needs a spot.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
6: they're self contained. Yeah. Uh, the, the lend of a bike I don't use a lot to, <laughs> to our mutual friend in case he needs to zip around. Yeah. You, you know, it's there for
3: the, him. The gym. Yeah, effectively, like you staying up there was almost like not an option, right? I mean, that's just the kind of people who live up there like, fuck, we're staying. We're sticking around. We're going to deal with this like effectively.
6: A lot of us have put a lot of work in and a lot of time in into our places and our homes. And we're all in. And, And we all fell in the same category, which was just that we just couldn't leave without saying we'd done all we could. And we were willing to exchange that for being responsible for ourselves, you know, and that was a theme that occurred between like fire, law enforcement, everybody, they'd have these conversations with us. And it always came down to that. You, you know, your limits, you know, when to go and you know, not to expect help and please stay out of the way. Mm -hmm. And those were all
2: agreements that, that we had going for us. So, um, well, you know, it, it, you know, hearing Jim talk is fascinating, and I think there's a lot of people, um, and, you know, heroic or whatever, but to have the, you know, not the balls to stay up there, because anybody can stay up and do it, but do it in a thoughtful way is, is mm-hmm. a really cool mm-hmm. thing to do, because, you know, they didn't have the resources. They were so under-resourced. <clears throat> that a lot of, I think areas like where Jim was, and I know some other people that stayed too, they weren't in imminent danger. They weren't going to, they weren't going to stay there to die, but they're like, we're, we're, we're safe enough. where We can stop and put out spot fires. And they right. did. And I think people like Jim and other people saved a lot of homes from, from dying, but they did it in a, in a smart enough way. Now, unfortunately there were other people that would call in a fire at their house just to get the fire department to go there to check on it. Right. That kind of stuff. Um, but it was interesting to hear the people that did stick behind and what the impact that they made. So it was, it was, it was fascinating. I was, it's always fascinating to see what resourceful people can do.
1: Yeah. Well, Jim, I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad that you, you know, you stuck it out and shared it with us and, uh, and thank you. Yeah. For doing what you did and helping out all of your neighbors as well. It made a difference.
5: Yeah. I had,
6: I had help, um, by my partner, Tammy Blake, her brother Mm -hmm. came came in and he he stayed for four days until he had to leave um a lot of this we talk about some of this was some some of it was people like people needed jobs people needed something to do because there wasn't a lot they could do
0: mm-hmm.
6: so it was a difficult like pins and needles because i can't go fight the fire and there isn't a lot i can do here and i don't so there was some some uh you know and in the first couple of days it took some setting in and some bedding in for some people and a couple, uh, uh, my tenants went ahead and left, Yeah, you know, like, and it was really good. Like, if you need to go, please, please go. But, um, but yeah, certainly not for everybody. And believe me, I heard the whole time I've been glued to the scanner, you know, and the number of calls for welfare checks, the number of people looking through their ring cameras, that, I mean, you think they'd call the cops on a raccoon, you know? <laughs> like, like it's a raccoon and like dropping, I got bandied my house, right? Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, it does drain a lot of law enforcement, and and it is hard, it is hard to tell, you know. But it's a, it's an individual decision. I think most people made made good decisions on that. Yeah, you know. Well, um, a lot of faith.
1: Stay safe. Keep fighting we'll fires, do. and uh, we'll, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
6: We're actually um, having a Little barbecue, <laughs> right it's now. too soon, too soon, man. <laughs> all right. well, our friends, at? you know, all this day behinds and stuff. We're all uh, much closer now.
0: Nice. Smoke so. have uh, have smoked medicine tonight. Yeah, right. Oh, stop bagel.
7: Funny. <laughs>
1: so, all right. Sure? Thanks a lot for right. sharing. I'll see you guys later. All right, okay? see you, Jim. See you, Jim. So All right. <laughs> so you know one thing that. um this whole thing i think a lot of us went through this there was the imminent threat of evacuating and i know for me i quickly had to assess all my belongings and what do i take and i have a trailer i can take two bikes uh did Mm -hmm. you guys all go through this where you had to figure out what what you're gonna take
2: Yep. Um, i had a bike in my truck
1: (laughs) yeah and for me (laughs) i decided that i think Uh, it was the africa twin and the the turbo the africa twin because it's my newest biggest bike that can do everything and if i can only have one bike that's the one and the turbo because it's the least likely to be able to be replaced everything else can be replaced um you know and computer and stuff like that but i'm curious uh Knock. What? What did you choose? Because you got three bikes and you got no trailer or truck, so it's just whatever you can put your ass
3: on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I juggled the. Uh, it was between the XR and the Superhawk. Uh, the rationale was uh, I picked the I picked the. Wait, XR, you have but... another bike though. You got two more. Yeah, I have a Ninja 650, but that thing's not even registered. So
2: <laughs> you've been well, really holding
3: that for like two years. Jeez. Yeah, I, and I've only got it for like you know for like a like a like a thousand dollars or something like that. So hold on, so it's between the
1: the Super Hawk that has what three hundred eighty thousand miles on it.
3: 100, same miles. same thing.
1: Okay. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> versus the xr which is just you know a unicorn sort of and yeah. it, it's got a kickstarter so that's cool but uh, yeah i picked with, i went with the xr because it gets decent gas mileage and you know it was uh, easy to maintain right and it could do the stuff that superhawk does
2: just a little bit slower
1: yeah and how about you, Jim? You had a hard decision. You have a truck. You could take one bike.
2: Yeah. Well, fortunately, like you, I don't live, you know, up in the middle of the mm-hmm. redwoods. But um, so I wasn't completely abandoning all but one bike. But I, yeah. I put the two the the CRF two fifty rally in the back of the truck.
1: Really, not the Africa Twin
2: no you know huh. because if i if if, if things you know th- see if things got really bad and I had yeah. to bounce around on a bike like Jim had to do yeah. I want a lightweight dirt bike yeah, um, but I wasn't going to abandon the other bikes I was going to actually take them down to the boardwalk parking parking lot yeah and you know just a big huge open parking lot and park them down there and then just figure they'd probably be okay so i didn't you know I wasn't think worried I was going to lose all my bikes but I did throw the 250 in because it's easy to load. Um, but it's also if I have to have one bike and I gotta you know be nimble on it, the two fifty is great for that.
1: How about you, Bagel? You got what, like eleven, eleven scooters there?
2: More than that. Yeah. So um, the problem <laughs> the problem is that
0: they're not all running. Right. So and I don't really have a place to store more than oh, a dozen bikes and this is
1: hard you have your first bike the Heinkel that yeah. you just r- got running again yeah but then you also have your what your Vespa GTS 300 that's your more or, reliable a 250 bike. 250 yep.
0: so that's a Stella, hard call right and so, then the Stella and th- those are the three bikes that I have running right now and mm-hmm. so I decided the best thing to do is to to just move those bikes out of here because they're running and I can move them. So I moved them down to my sister's house, which is a couple of miles south of here, uh, where I figured they'd be safe. Oh, so your answer 15. is all of them. Yeah, I moved all <laughs> all three of those out. Um, and, you know, while I was looking forlornly at all of my other bikes, hoping that I would see <clears> them again, <throat> which thankfully I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, you know, I, I didn't have a way to move the other bikes in a safe place to keep them. So I just kind of decided to leave them and take my chances. Um, yeah. And I I'd actually I did evacuate uh, on Thursday night because the evacuation zone basically reached to a, within a block of my house. Yeah. So I figured with 45 to 60 mile an hour winds being forecasted for the weekend, I figured it was a good time to leave. And so I moved my bikes on Thursday afternoon, uh, packed up all of my my things, the essentials into the into my car, and then headed down to my parents in Watsonville and stayed down there um for a couple of days um in in then after that I then moved my bikes from my sisters in Santa Cruz down to Watsonville just to make sure that they were far enough away um because I had time and there wasn't anything else to do other than wait for to see what happened with the fire
1: but it's interesting that we I think we all went through the same process of having to like assess and prioritize so Charlie and Micah you got how many bikes between y'all
5: uh, six? We were gonna take all of my bikes, none of Micah's bikes. <laughs>
8: yeah, I know. How did
5: that? How did that happen?
1: It was
8: really funny and sad because we were talking about it, and I was like, "Well, if you're gone and the truck is here, I'm not gonna be able to put any into the uh, truck mm-hmm. if we have to go." Uh, But, like, like, should I If I have the opportunity and can get some help Doing
5: it? So, during the whole last week I was just commuting by motorcycle I kept the truck at home in case Like, Micah needed to get out or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, And we decided Basically Micah's FC6 is worth a lot more on paper Because on paper It hasn't been crashed, like, 30 times
1: (laughs) And how many of those crashes did you do, Micah?
5: Uh, I did about 29 of them. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <there> <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you what, I got my money's worth.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so what bikes did you have ready ready to go uh, in your mind? So we
5: were going to take, um, so my dirt bike, which is a YZ 250F, which, mm-hmm. you know, was in T- Antonio's bike, and they just spent, you know, hundreds of hours in custom suspension work. Kit. So it was mm-hmm. like, you can't recreate that bike. And then the DRZ. Is also the same thing. We put a bunch of time into that bike.
1: Wait, you were going to leave the super 10 behind?
5: No, I was going to no. come and ride the super 10. Oh,
1: track. okay. So, so
5: Micah would head. drive the truck and I'd ride the super 10 And then we'd have, you know, then worse, you know, everything comes to shove or whatever. Then Micah could either commute on the super 10 or the DRZ, mm-hmm. you know, then the, you'd get the insurance done or whatever. There and, you go. Yep. You know, then Micah would be riding the FCO 7.
1: Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. Emma, this must have been very hard for you because not only do you have some very nice bikes, you have some very nice cars. Yeah. So what was your plan? Um, or did you not have to? You weren't close enough.
4: Oh, I, I got very, very close to the River Fire. That's right. Down yeah, in Carmel. Time. Um, and yeah. the River Fire got close enough that um, CSUMB got evacuated. Mm. And I can see the CSUMB mm-hmm. campus from my house. <laughs> um. My motorbikes are everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it would be like asking to choose between your children. Exactly. But in truth, I would save only one. And it may surprise you which one, because the Guzzi I built, mm-hmm. and I can build another one. The Turbo I built, and I can build another one. The Trident... I'm building, and I can build another one. There's only one that really would be so hard to duplicate as to what it is, and that's the one I'd save. Rufus? The RF900. RF wow. Really? I would Why never. You- I could never find an RF900 in that condition again. Yeah,
3: let alone the plastics, the whole completed unmolested bike. Yeah, that's that's a winner right there.
4: You know, with factory that batshit crazy purple and yellow paint job, you yeah, know, Lakers. You know, I could build one, but it wouldn't be an original bike. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, if I um uh, if I had to choose between my bikes. I mean, I it's that would be a tough choice, darling. Yeah.
5: Um, I'd imagine you yeah, could put two in your truck. Yeah, I'd probably. But well, you know, the only one and whatever. But you know,
4: Liza. As much as I, you know, much as I love my cars, you know, I've got the El Camino and the Jag. Right. Um. They're the, they're nothing compared with the bikes. I mean, I would you know, I'd sell the Jag or the Elky in a heartbeat. You know, I I like. I like nice cars because I just like the experience of a nice car. But my bikes are something quite different. I, I very much put a piece of me into my bikes.
2: Well, when you're ready to sell the Elkie, let me know.
4: <laughs> 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 well, when you're ready to pay more, more in fuel than you do on your mortgage. When, when you're ready to leave the Moto Guzzi
1: behind to burn, let me know.
4: <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, right.
5: yeah, um, we'll, we'll be right down. We'll be a OK. Loop
1: yeah it, it was interesting that we all had to kind of go through this same
5: assessment
1: yeah. um uh, as we we're saying emma's fire is a different fire down in carmel um i even reached out to rob at moto talbot and said say the word i'll come down with the trailer help get some bikes out of there fortunately um the fires were stopped there uh, big sur is still on fire um i think sonoma um all over it's Crazy, but um, the message I want to put to everyone out there: Thank you for everyone who reached out and asked how we're doing. Um, other than some bikes and properties that were lost, everybody's lives are fine, and the community has really been pulling together. Um, and I wanted to put this out there: If if you know anybody who did lose all their gear in the fire, send them down to the recycle garage. We have. A lot of gear right now. We've had so many people generous donating gear before the fire um, that we can we can gear some people up, and we're we're here to help. So send them on down to us. There you go. Right. Um, yeah, just so glad that we are all safe, and um, we may have some more updates, you know, in the future. Um, but for now, we've got a ride report because. Yeah. Because everything was so crazy with COVID, with the fires, with the politics, with everything going on, <laughs> I have to admit, I was getting to a point where I was getting a bit crazy and just it was too much. And um,
3: run away from your problems.
5: Just <laughs> I, I said, <laughs> you know what?
1: You know, we always talk about writing for mental health. And this is one of those cases where I reached out to Jim and Charlie and a couple others. Um, I said, we need to let's get out of town and we kind of picked a path around the fires and, and away from smoke. And I said, let's go do an all day long, hard ADV ride. And I just want to forget about the world. And you know what? It works because when you are navigating over some rough terrain and you're dealing with a uh, potential heat stroke and, yeah. and you've got, you got a
5: moment
8: there,
1: you know, and you're assessing like how far you can go on the fuel and the water you have, like, you're not worrying about covid or politics or fires it's yeah. all you can do to just you know um deal with the problems on your plate right in front of you and it worked um charlie you helped you kind of mapped it out you want to talk about our route we had for jim and i like i think it's all the dirt we know of like within proximity well, it's basically of our
2: home. If, if santa cruz had a backcountry discovery route yeah we, we did the santa cruz Back to country discovery route. Or part of it anyway.
5: Yeah. Well, so we, you know, we left Santa Cruz. We did Buzzards Lagoon Road, which is, you know, pretty close. And like a lot of these roads we did, there's tons of offshoots to where you could spend all day Mm -hmm. doing little offshoots of trails or whatever.
1: And a lot of these are um, either fire roads or private roads. I think they're technically private roads.
5: So Summit is a, so we did Buzzards to Summit. And the road we took up to summit was a private road, but there's a way around where summit is not a private road, but it eventually turns into a private road.
1: And and I want to say, because we are on private roads um, when doing so we are on bikes that are not loud. We are not riding at speeds to cause any more damage to the already pothole dirt roads. We're not kicking up a lot of dust. We're not loitering we're being respectful of the property and then, you know, moving on.
5: And These roads are riding on. So like some, there's tons, there's like, you know, probably over 30 homes or something <coughs> live mm-hmm. up. There. So it's, and all in these people that live up there also ride and they do, I think the January 1st, like adventure ride, they open it up for people.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep.
5: And
1: we've followed uh, my code, which is um, disobey signs, but obey all chains
2: and gates. <laughs> kind of Yeah, that's your code, not mine. That's, that's my hers. code.
1: If someone can make the that effort works, to put a mine. chain across I'll, I'll 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 give in. If all they do is tack a sign on a tree, nah, I'm not falling for that. Um but
5: yeah, then we mm-hmm. went over to Corbin.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, we went um then a third dirt road uh down Oh, that
5: was yeah, um Mount Madonna Road which turns into dirt road which yeah. I would like to mention the first time I was on that road was when I accidentally took it with the RS250 you know, <laughs> Aprilia sport bike um, yeah not a good road for that I was trying to bike. get to campground and I was like man this is not the right bike for this and I was like I can't drop this thing whatever yeah fucked
1: up so yeah that drops you down into gilroy which the next town over is hollister so we took the back roads through the fields over to corbin's had some great burgers there thank you mike corbin for having the wizard's cafe and charlie got a tour of the factory which is really fascinating to see were you were you impressed
5: huh all the chemical smells (laughs) yeah yeah well, I tell
2: you what, when you guys were uh, touring. Um, I had two cool things at Corbin, so I was sitting outside waiting for my. I had a, I had a BLT and a cheeseburger. <laughs> And they have an, the uh, Hollister Airport is right across the street. Oh, I know yeah. Emma's familiar with this. And I saw one of the coolest sights you can ever see out of that Hollister Airport is a guy owns a pair of uh, P-51 Mustangs. Yeah. So the plane that basically won World War two. And if you've ever seen one of them, they're beautiful. We'll step to look at beyond the
4: lines. Jim, I think you'll find oh. that was the Spitfire. <laughs> uh,
2: no. Sorry, (laughs) but you guys put up a hell of a fight. I'll tell you that we did it together. That's why we have a special relationship. But anyway, but to hear a P 51, I think it's a huge Rolls Royce engine. It makes this sound that is so distinct and to see it and hear it close up. But then I got to sneak in and Charlie mentioned chemicals. Well, Mike makes a bunch of stuff, plastics, fairings, luggage, seats, of course, but they had the new, um, trident rocket up there mm-hmm. i mean i'm sorry the triumph rocket yeah and uh it's with big, the first it? generation it's big it looks like it'll rip your arms off it has but the first generation plastic luggage were just being prototyped right there fiberglass. and the dude was there sand and yeah. fiberglass mm-hmm. and i'm like hey what's going on he goes hey how's it going and we started chatting and it's like just how accessible mike's factory is is great like yeah, there's probably... the newest latest prototype and he just chat with the dude
1: you can walk right into the r&d department and see what they're creating
4: but you know it's it, it th- that's never surprised me because the industry this industry is really made up of enthusiasts and mike is a true enthusiast i mean mm-hmm. we've talked about this many many times before and mike's driven by love of motorcycles and he's lucky enough he's made a very very good living out of it for 60 years.
2: Right. But well If I remember correctly, Mike rode across country when he was like 18 in the winter time to go from where somewhere back east to California to join the Navy.
4: Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean. So he's he's had this visceral love of motorcycles very much like me. And like me, he's made a living out of doing it. It really doesn't get any better. If I had a factory It'd be open to the public all day, every day. You can see it
5: just because, look what I do. It's great.
2: Yeah. I'd love it. Yeah, and and Charlie was stoked on the machine shop, huh? Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, they're a pretty good little metal shop. Little? <laughs> yeah, you know, they only have like three lanes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty big. Um, so we had a great lunch there, and then we headed on out, uh, again, the back roads, heading down. Uh, Jim, uh, we were going down to Trace Pino's.
2: Yes, we took some back roads out of Mike's mm-hmm. place down to Trace Pinos, which is a small little ag town south of Hollister, mm-hmm. uh, birthplace of the American biker, Hollister. And um, yes, yeah, so we bounced from Hollister to Trace Pinos, and we went a little bit south of there on Highway 25, which is a beautiful road that eventually will take you south to Pinnacles National Monument. <clears throat> and a little ways off, you go off a road called Pinoche Road or Pinoche Road, and uh, it just starts taking you east into the middle of nowhere. I mean, Charlie, how, how desolate did it feel after a while?
5: fucking there's nothing <laughs>
2: yeah but I mean, there's, this is BLM. there's
5: cows there was always a cow inside cows. <laughs>
2: yeah, this is a lot of like blm lance ranch, uh, ranch land so a lot of open space but it was a dual sport ride way before we got off off the off the pavement because the pavement was so horrible
5: oh, <laughs> oh, it was ride, riding off of the pavement on the like little dirt path on the side of the road was smoother than the road
1: yeah <laughs> yeah, I know. So, and I'd like to point out, and this is where nobody has any sympathy for us when we complain about the California weather. But let me tell you something, the California weather can kill you. And here's yeah. how. When we left, it was <laughs> like 63 degrees Boggy oh, oh. Cold, oh, right?
8: Still
5: California.
1: And, you know, I looked out and went, ooh, I think I'm going to wear my my thicker gear, you know, because you don't want to get cold. Right? I think, Jim, you made the same
2: choice, right? I ended up with, yeah, like thicker ADV gear. You know, yeah. Climb, so it's still vents, but it was still Gore-Tex. By so the time
1: we're back in the middle of nowhere visiting these cows, it was getting into the 90s. And then further south we went, it got up into the hundreds. And it was getting hot. I was yeah,
2: like we hit 101 Ooh. I know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it got real hot. So our our goal, our destination point was a place that Jim has found. Um it's a neat little ghost town, right?
2: Yeah, it's a trippy spot. I had heard about it years ago, and kind of like you know myths and tales and stuff. But it's yeah. it's it's not. It's a known place. It's called New Idria, and there's a New Idria mines, and it's in San Benito County. And like I said, we're it's out in the middle of nowhere, but it's a fascinating place. It's actually an area of um, like geological interest, I think, because the San Andreas Fault and stuff is in that area. But there's interesting minerals um, and things in that area, and it's a fascinating. And the, visually, it's a fascinating place. Um, you can find some stuff on Instagram. If you follow Trailbound Company, occasionally they'll post some stuff up there. But New Hydra, it became a mining town like, uh, you know, I think back in the late 1800s. And what they found there was mercury. Mm-hmm. Right? So who knows what mercury was used for originally? Anybody?
0: Making hats. Or hats. hats.
2: Mining gold. Yeah. Well, prior to that, yeah. mining gold. It also treated syphilis. So Nagra yeah. may want to keep taking notes here
3: <laughs> Too late. my teeth have already fallen out
2: <laughs> so but anyway a new hydria mine and this is like charlie this this is back there i mean it's out in the middle it, so you got to watch gas you got to watch water mm-hmm. and we were pretty close on both um i ran out yeah, and uh, but but anyway, so the mine was closed in seventy seven. They mine mercury back there. Um, it was used for mining gold, exactly, and a bunch of other things. Uh, but for a number of reasons, but it was also uh, a dirt bike area called Clear Creek, and, and people say it could be possibly one of the best dirt bike areas in the world.
1: And I want to. This is not flat. This is hilly. This is this is like I don't know, what you call it mountain rugged. hills. Yeah, rugged, yeah. Um, And didn't you say it was one of the largest uh, OHV parks?
2: It's it's
5: like, if I'm correct, it's 98 square miles.
2: Yeah, it's pretty big. Wow. But, it's unique, and a lot of it's just wide mm-hmm. open. It's almost—I'm sorry, Eliza, but it's a lot yeah. of it's similar to a sand dune, but it's this base rock consistency. It's mm-hmm. wild. So you mm-hmm. would see all over the place where people would just do these crazy hill climbs, and but it wasn't just single track. It was like a play area, like oh, Charlie said, ninety square miles.
1: Some parts of it looked like you're on like another planet, like like yeah. Mars or something. But we we said it was an OHV park. So this area was shut down you want to yeah, say well, why, why it was was shut the, down
2: how, <laughs> i i don't really know why exactly i mean it was well it was a super fun site that's why yeah it no was a super that's a fun site some, some
1: about toxic. asbestos yeah. i think well mercury Oh, the merc- okay. mercury so basically line, right. it was it was dangerous the land is dangerous and yeah, so they that
2: really green lake we saw <laughs>
1: yeah yeah mm. um Literally, and brain, so yeah. they shut the entire park system down however if you are wily there is a back way in and that's why we went down in like you know way east uh, off the coast around this mountain to come in the back way and we thought we're being like oh why are they getting into this park and um there were sometimes well, well first of all we had to keep stopping because it was hot like at one point i'm like just dropped my pants. I'm just standing there in my underwear because I had to like cool down so much. Like it was, uh, it was very hot. Like it was getting dangerous
2: hot. Yeah. Well, you know, it was good. And Charlie clued in on this too. It's like, you know, you need to recognize when it gets like that and really slow down. You know, mm-hmm. we, there was a time where we, we took a break about every five minutes. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. take your helmet off, take your jacket mm-hmm. off. Right. And, uh, you because it doesn't fun. take a lot of, mm-hmm. cause we were, we were uh, kind of fighting the bikes because, you know, Liza and I, we were talking about this, you know, these, these are all durable, uh, non-durable skills. And
1: we, we didn't we were say really we're, dial- we're on our big bikes, the Africa Twins and the Super 10.
2: Yeah, it's one of the big bikes. And, you know, after we took Jocelyn's, uh, went down to Jocelyn's mm-hmm. with her and trained, I was like dialed in, like fearless, right? But I hadn't done a lot of ADV riding since then. And getting back on the big bike on, you know, when you're in some big ruts and, you know, unfamiliar stuff and, and, um, it, it was very exhausting. Just because, yeah. you know, I had to, my technique wasn't great. So that on top of the heat, um, it caught up to all of us. But but we recognized like, we're overheating, so we stopped a lot. When we had an issue, we would take helmets off. Otherwise, someone was, someone was close to having a problem.
1: Yeah, there, there was a point where I communicated to them, hey, just so you know, I can tell I'm now uh, starting to get overheated. My um, I was still functioning, but I was processing less information and just kind of going on autopilot and just following and them. That-
5: that's uh-huh. when we, we stopped for like 20 minutes or something in the shade, and just like yeah. water and like cool down. And we cool, looked at yeah. a map and figured out our way out.
2: Well, it was a good break because we, we were lost at the moment because I was yeah. leading and I just try, I thought I just stayed on the more main – because nothing's marked back for, there for the most part, not till we cool. got to the big, big road. But, but anyway, we got lost and we're like, all right, fuck it. Let's just – we took, yeah, like a half-hour break and it worked out great.
1: Well, what was happening was because we just didn't have the energy – because it was so hot yep. um, and we didn't have enough gas to turn around and go back the way we came. So we had to keep going, but we'd go up one road and it would start to get way more technical than I wanted to do. Yep. And it's like, we'd have to abort, stop, turn around. Then we go up another road and it would have a gate. It's like, oh, like we can't just well, keep wasting our energy. We have to come up with a plan. That's when we all sat down, looked at maps, came up with a plan and you know cooled down and i really Got appreciated lucky. that part where we yeah. all work together to get out of there
5: well that's like we needed to stay on basically clear creek road or whatever mm-hmm. which is the main trail that takes you through the whole park or whatever and like if you just go straight it all of a sudden turned into a different road and like you would have to take a hard right or whatever to actually mm-hmm. stay on road and there wouldn't be any signs and and that's I mean, kind of one of the problems of riding in you know an OHV park or something that's not maintained
4: and it so, was, uh, so can i the, throw a wrench in here yeah. later that you were on the big bikes mm-hmm. yeah so the ideal bike for that day is the one that hasn't been invented yet which would be something like jim's rally raid with a powerful 500 twin-cylinder engine in it. I don't know. Uh pleasant enough to do the miles, but Uh, you don't feel... I'll say... When it starts getting technical, that you're on a horse. I'll say
1: no. I felt like I was on the right bike because when you're on a big bike like that, as long as you're choosing the right path, you're working less. You're just there along for the ride. You choose the path, and it just chugs along. And that's why even when I was overheating, I was able to just keep chugging along. Whereas on the smaller bike, I find you work a lot more with your body to maneuver it around and using your hips and balance on this. You just sit there and just chug. But I was going to say at one one point. Yeah, go ahead.
2: I was going to say, a difference I find between the big bike and the little bike, I think if, if, if I had kept up with my skills on the big bike, it would have been totally fine. You know, not too bad. The, the light bikes are nice because I think the suspension's a little better. You know, when you hit these big-ass ruts and stuff, you're not really pounding them so hard. And they're a little more confidence-inspiring in the head. But the other thing, if we had the, the littler bikes, we'd have been going a lot faster. And going faster where trails aren't marked, you could just fucking launch off a cliff, and you you know. Have you, a,
1: you almost so. did. I did.
2: No, I target, <laughs> I've been we've been riding for like seven hours, like <laughs> all like dirt dual sport shit, and I eventually target fixed on a dirt cliff right in front of me in a huge ass rut. <laughs> oh, I started yelling in my helmet. I'm like, oh, I just I, I just couldn't turn for like thirty feet. <laughs>
1: so yeah. I, even though I feel like the bigger bikes are better, they'll do the work here's the only problem you can't fall over because getting those bikes back up is a problem. Um, and, uh, which is why it's very important to choose the right path. And there was one point where I didn't choose the right path. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I, I, I had to, there was a rut across the road and I had to get across it diagonally uh charlie succeeded jim was smart and he didn't try and go across it diagonally he just went across it in the wrong direction went down the road the wrong direction to find a better spot to turn around i just tackled it i went for it and unfortunately it jogged my bike to the right and i put my foot down but my foot was over the rut and so there Ooh. was, there was no, nothing for my foot. And so, no terra firma. I, so I made the announcement. Jim's heard it before. I just, oh, I'm
5: going. <laughs> 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 what I thing. Then I like, I like I stop. I, I put my kickstand down. They both
1: had time to stop and down. look. So how long was it between the I'm going and then the, oh,
2: Oh, it was a while. So I, I was already, I was already like, fuck. I'm like, well, you guys, first of all, this rut was probably two feet wide and two feet deep. Mm. And you guys were like right in front of it. It's I like you know. had no chance to get momentum. And I'm like, no, I know. I'm not going to do that. And I knew Charlie Charlie powered through it. So as I was like making a U-turn, I look over and I hear, yeah, I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> I think you got two of them out. <laughs> and I, I had plenty it. of time oh, to look funny. over. You're There you go, like just straight as a board. Just yep, like a tree. Yeah. I saw you fall. I got to see that you didn't <laughs> compound fracture your leg. I'm like, yeah. we're good. And you were laughing the whole time. So I knew you were fine. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. The thumb, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hit the ground. It's, it's just like like a, like a fallen tree, and then it's like, all right, everyone, just take your time, yeah. take
2: off. Well, you your know, gear. I actually ended up parking my bike down the hill, and I oh. took off like I took off almost well everything yeah. but my pants because I'm like it's hot as balls out here, and I had to walk up the hill to get you guys. So it was another chance. I, we, we took a bunch of time. It was good.
1: Yeah, it was another opportunity that we worked together. Everyone was calm. There was no you know emergency. Let's let's be smart about this and let's everyone get cool. Let's get the bike up and get going. And we did.
5: Doing rides like this, you're basically, you know, gauging like, where do you expend your energy? You Mm. only have so much energy to use. And once you, you know, start to use all of your energy and your exhaust and you make more and more mistakes, you start dropping the bike more and you'll eventually hurt yourself. And that's where you have to be really careful and like be smart about picking the bike up and what you do, like, and mm-hmm. we were lucky. We only dropped the one bike throughout the whole day. But if we had dropped, you know, a couple more bikes where we were having to lift more of them up. And, it-
2: and that could have that happened easily because mm-hmm. we ended up into some weird, funky stuff. It wasn't terrible. But out of the blue, you're like, oh, well, that gets your attention a lot. And, there, you know, there was one point, lies, when we were taking that break because it was still midday. And I'm like, you know, if we have to sit here for two or three hours and let the sun go down, then we'll yeah. do that. But like Charlie said, once you get tapped, it it does not go right. well.
4: Yeah. Do you remember our Canadian friends, uh, Will and Max,
2: mm-hmm.
4: yeah. um, they rode down to ride in Baja every yeah. year? Yeah. So the last yeah, time absolutely. Max stayed with me, he was on his own. He was still riding that big 900 Tiger of his, and I was going through his photographs, and there's a picture of his tiger lying on the side on some desolate trail in Baja, New- Baja Mexico. And I said, "Oh, how long was it down on the side for?" He said, three days."
2: Oh, oh my <laughs> god!
4: <laughs> it was it was so spent; mm. he couldn't pick it up by himself, and he was terrified. There's some. sand will do that
2: truck. to you. Sand sand will kick your ass
4: exactly. So he just let it was just on its side for three days. <laughs> well, he was kind of camped out <laughs> close to his bike, and eventually, some guy in the truck stopped, and they got it upright again, and off he went. So, yeah, I mean, this is a very real concern. So, Um,
1: fortunately, the ride got better from there. We found the road up over the mountain. When we came over that mountain and then you saw the view of the valley below. And I
5: think that's the point we actually entered Clear Creek.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, that was beautiful. Now we're on roads that were set up for an OHV park but are no longer being maintained, but they're nice, level, not used, not rutted. Because no one should be up there.
5: What was weird is like a lot of the trail marking signs Mm look like they're brand new.
1: Yeah, I think Mm. it was just like left in time.
5: Well,
2: well, well. It's it's a couple of things. One is some stuff is definitely that because it's all shot up, right? Like most signs, they got a bunch of gun holes in them or whatever. But then ah. also, you you can you can get a permit. You can legally mm-hmm. go to the whatever office, apply for a permit. I think you have to get multiple permits, and then you can gain. I think Charlie looked into it. You can't go hang out there, but you can gain yeah. access through the park.
5: So you can. So I think they have. For, you can gain. You can't go there for OHV use or recreational use, but you can get like a five-day permit for like five dollars or whatever and you can use a vehicle for access we
1: should we should do that next time maybe um but i have to say from that point on it became a much better ride we had switchbacks down the mountain we had a bunch of water crossings charlie was so excited about that and we're feeling like okay we're getting out of this this is a you know, a good road. You can tell, like big vehicles have been on it. And we finally we get to the end of the park, and there's another gate, and it's locked. Well,
2: <laughs> and this is the same elevator. gate that stymied us last yeah.
1: winter. And now, at this point, we know we don't have enough. Like Charlie's out of water, um, and even though I recommended he get some out oh, of the, I, out of the creek that's been no, shut had, down because of mercury. <laughs> yeah, I ran out of water
5: right after.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but We're faced with how do we deal with this obstacle? We don't really have enough gas and water to go back the whole way. It's so fucking hot. Um, And we started coming up with different plans, some better than others. But I think the best plan that we came up with was that on the side of the gate against the hillside, there was an opening that you could kind of like, squat and and kind of wriggle through you know a person and we realized like if we take off our luggage and our windshields we might be able to lay the bikes down on their side and drag them through
5: that was a legitimate thing we were about to do we were going to so this is is
1: like we're like assessing this is probably the best plan it's going to be a lot of work it's going to zap us but it's going to be less work than going back the way we came and less dangerous Well,
5: i saw the other option was like a little mini hill climb
1: it wasn't a mini hill climb Charlie. It
2: was like a little hill. It was plant. a two-stroke. It was a t- like everything else. You get off the roads out there. Everything's two-stroke, which is bitching well, was, if you're on a two-stroke. I stroke.
5: mean, it was like probably six feet high and like kind of vertical, but you'd get up there. It was more there, than six feet
1: high, high, Charlie.
2: But it had a deep rut, so that was good. But
5: we had toe
2: straps. We could have got. We could have.
1: It spent- wasn't as good of a plan as dragging the bikes. So <laughs> the point is,
0: luckily, <clears throat> not to just it. the motors. Oh, I'm sorry, Bagel. I was to say, or you could just build a ramp.
2: <laughs> oh, good idea. Oh, we really
5: And then use it to bring the other bikes up.
2: Just get a log. It'd be like a Johnson So Snow.
1: I appreciate yeah. that. Charlie was looking at other options, but both yeah. Jim and I decided that was a little more dangerous than dragging a bike.
2: Yeah. Well, I went back down the road or the trail <laughs> and tried to like poke around both sides of the road, but one side just dropped off into nowhere and the other one was a steep. You know, so, probably could have
5: crossed the river way back there and then ridden that up i
1: i don't know maybe but again it's it's risk assessment when you're dealing with this heat and we're dealing yeah with running low on water and gas um and by the time we decided this is the plan i think we can do this here comes a car (laughs) up the road behind us and we're like something like like a honda Accord or something like not even like a big off-road vehicle (laughs) and we're like uh hi do you have a key to this thing? And they're like, yeah, we got the permits and, and the code for it. We're like, yes!
5: But <laughs> we, so we were talking like lucky. how awkward would it would have been if like, he, <laughs> he showed up and there was like a bike like on his ground. <laughs> we're dragging we were, like, bikes. Dragging <laughs> yeah.
1: It was the perfect timing. It was perfect timing in that we all worked together, came up with a plan for this obstacle, and we're ready to go and feeling good about it and then we got bailed out just in time. No, and <laughs> we got I don't
2: know really how lucky.
5: Didn't think about that car cuz we had passed that car mm-hmm. like 10 minutes prior. I,
1: yeah, but that car didn't okay. look like it belonged there. So, um that was great. We got out of there, headed back uh, towards home but we needed to get away from this heat and the best way to do that is get closer to the coast so we went up 25 and took gloria road we've talked about it a bunch jim and i have been on it Uh, a bunch of us have been on it knock's done it on his super hawk um but it's just a nice uh like fire road over this mountain um parts of it are just nice sweepers through cow pastures and the rest of it is uh you know sharp turns you know descending down the, the mountain into the valley below um yeah, but you probably
2: climbed you probably climbed 1500 feet up and over the, over uh, the but it's beautiful up there the and it cooled
1: almost. down which was exactly what we needed and i felt revigorated at that point we dropped down into town got some tacos and now here's where we forgot about the heat we were just dealing with because now the fog has come in it's cold we're putting on all the layers we have i'm running my heated grips
2: <laughs> yeah, it went and shivering on the way home in about an hour and a half yeah yeah
1: like we're not made we we're not built to deal with 40 degree temperature changes in that short of time um but we made it back we had a great day i'm still sore but you know what it made me forget about everything and that is a good day, and I also really appreciated riding uh, with these two guys who were up for the, you know tackling these obstacles, and uh, we did that
2: it. It was a great day. Mm-hmm. It was what ten hours? We did what ten hours? So we were gone.
4: Season? Well, left at nine. Yeah, got home yeah, at eight. And I'd like to put that into perspective. So um, there's a little town, yeah, you know, kind of on route called San Juan Batista, mm-hmm. which you may or may not have heard of
2: wonderful bakery
4: there you go and they have a mission at san juan batista which was actually the mission in the alfred hitchcock film vertigo however they have a museum and it's a museum of transport at the mission and there's all these horse-drawn carriages and horse-drawn things and there is a yellow open I suppose you'd call it an open truck. It's for four horses. Big yellow thing, and there's four benches, and then kind of a buckboard in the front with big benches. And to cut a long story short, it is the bus that used to run between New idria and San Juan
2: Batista. Oh, how cool. Hmm. Is that right? How funny.
4: From the 1890s. <clears throat> and on the side, it's actually got the schedule and the stops it makes. Nice. And it's a three-day trip.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. no way. From San Juan Bautista to Niger was three days? Wow. Uh, can you imagine, about- imagine on a buckboard? Yeah, it's maybe 80 miles, that would be my guess. Well, you know, that Quicksilver mine at New Idria was, the, at one point in that late 1800s, was the second largest mine in the country behind one of, the I think, the Quicksilver mines at Almaden in San Jose. Right. right. And so I'm guessing, you know, the miners would probably work
4: like a month on, maybe take a week off. and Let their hair grow you know, back. They'd all pile into San Juan Batista and drink too
2: much Have a and good bury time. the
4: bodies in the morning.
2: San Juan Batista is a lovely little town, though. Still has that old Western charm. Oh, yeah.
1: It it was a great day. There was a lot of firsts on it. It was uh, Charlie's first time on a lot of these roads. It was my first time, I think, really um, taking the Africa Twin out and really testing it and my ability. Um, and. Jim, were there any firsts for you on this one? Oh yeah, you made it past the ghost town that freaked you out last time. I know I didn't
2: get I wasn't scared because I was with my, my big friends.
5: Yeah. The first time I went there like hey, sketchy as fuck if you're alone. Well
2: and not right. to mention, and this played into the thing with the heat issues, you help is not gonna get there anytime soon, right. if at all. And the local people may not really help you either. So um yeah but yeah we got past the ghost town so that was that was nice the one thing i really enjoyed was watching charlie kick ass mm-hmm. on those street tires all day long
5: yeah hey, you were like 90 100 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: fun
1: there you go and, yeah, you, and, and, you and i got, got to all of and i got to ride the super 10 for a bit it is a good bike i felt instantly comfortable on it hey, so that thing
5: ripped on the dirt
1: yeah you, you well and yeah you you ripped on it too. But like I said, it was a day full of firsts, so I want to keep the momentum going with firsts. And I thought this would be a good opportunity um, to talk to Emma because Emma's always sharing uh, Emma's history holes where she's telling the history Hi. of a lot yeah. of different things. But you know, I don't know that much about Emma's history. And I wanted to hear from <laughs> Emma about Emma, I want to hear about the first bike you ever remember seeing i want to hear about your first ride your first repair your first crash i want to hear about your first so let's hear what do you got what's the first bike you ever remember Um, seeing where do where do we start um let me think and and how loud was that steam-powered bike
4: Oh, it was very loud. It was it was very loud, and it was piloted by Isambard <laughs> Kingdom Brunel himself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um. I vividly remember my first motorcycle experience, and I was eight years old. So it was 1970, um, and at the Back then, um, my mom was pretty much raising uh, me and my older brother on her own, mm-hmm. and she had a little dressmaking shop, and we lived above stairs uh, up above the shop in a very, very small apartment and then there was dressmaking shop downstairs. she made a you know a decent enough living to you know to keep us fed, but we didn't have a car or anything like that um anyway um friday night she used to like to go out and have a couple of drinks and we had this babysitter called ros and ros would come over and take care of me and my brother and this went on for like a couple of months and then ros's boyfriend showed up and he had a bonneville aha (laughs) and it was brand new and it was gold and I thought this was just the greatest thing. And um, so Rosie's watching a cat butt in Jim's
2: garage. <laughs>
1: is that, a, is that a, a cat ass blaster?
2: Scared it away. Sorry.
4: So, um, so after just bugging and bugging and bugging this poor young man, he eventually said, okay, I'll take you on the bike. And so um, I sat on the back, this was long before you had to wear helmets or anything like that. And I sat on the back and I was far too small. So it was very, very small for my age back then. I mean, I'm built like a tank now, but back then it was very, very small. And so he said, well, that's okay. And he sat me on the, on the gas tank. And back then, Triumphs had these big rubber knee grips on the tank. Mm-hmm. So I could kind of sit astride the tank with my legs hanging down either side and grip it. And he kind of reached around me to the handlebars and I was pretty secure. And I kind of pushed back against his chest and off we went. And he he was going quite fast. I mean, to me, it felt like the speed of light. But there I was at um, um, eight years old thinking this is the best thing in the world. And it planted a seed then, you see. Exactly. Um, but the reason why the bike's important I've never gone away from my love of English bikes. And I want to be clear that I, I'm, I'm, I don't always own an English bike, but they're never far from my thoughts. And it's not, a, if I don't have an English bike in my life, it's a case of, well, yeah, I'll get another one soon. And I always do. Um, And you know, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just really respect for the, for the domestic product, I guess. But I really love British bikes. So that was my first experience on a bike. Um, The first bike I ever owned, Mm -hmm. I was 14 years old and I bought an aerial arrow from my next door neighbor that he'd put in his shed. About seven years before, and I tried to get it going. And I couldn't, so I worked on it. But of course, I was a fourteen-year-old kid. I didn't know anything, so that was the uh, the first bike I kind of owned and worked on. Um, gosh, let me think. First bike I rode on the on the on the street. Mm-hmm. Hmm i had a funny little portuguese moped for a very very short time which i got rid of but the first bike i really had that i'd ride around on was a little blue bsa c15 which i absolutely adored that thing what how many cc's Um, is that 250 okay and i rode that thing everywhere and it Broke down every time you went out on it, but it was freedom, Mm -hmm. and that's the important thing. Because you know, back then, you know, my mom still couldn't afford a car, but she didn't want to ride a motorbike. But I wanted—I wanted to get out and have fun. so Emma, can you lift
1: your microphone a little bit? Your earring is uh, clicking. Oh, I'm. Hang on. Let me. There there you you go. go. Thank you.
4: There you go. Should be clattering a little less. Thank you. and then I went over to the dark side and got a Japanese bike. <laughs> and what, which it bike was, was quite, that? It was quite different to the BSA because the BSA was like a four-stroke single cylinder. And it went thump, 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 thump. And then I got a Kawasaki KH250, mm. which was a three-cylinder two-stroke, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of wailed um, and had no power anywhere except right at the very very top of the rev band so you had to thrash it everywhere and i remember i got pulled over a couple of times on it the policeman said do you know how fast you were going and i said yes not very i said i know why you think i was going fast because the noise it made (laughs) i said if you actually look you'll see i'm actually there's a lot of noise and smoke but not much forward forward progress (laughs) And I sounds like argue with that you see yeah exactly um so yeah that that's kind of early emios on the bikes and i mean this is this is all in the 70s how about first bike uh, you crashed oh gosh um the first bike i really hurt myself on was that kawasaki mm. and i did the the rookie thing I target fixated into a corner and I hit the curb and I went down hard. Oof. And um, messed myself up pretty well. A um, lot of road rash. I think I dislocated my elbow and fractured wrist and all. Mm. You know, the
0: good shit that you do. Um, so, so it was a high side?
4: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you, but you you get back on. And I was thrilled because the Kawasaki, you see, it had two mufflers on the right side and one on the left, and it went down on the left, so it was cheaper to fix. (laughs) Because I only had to buy one muffler. If it had gone down on the right, I'd have had to have bought two.
1: And what would you say was the first bike you really cut your teeth wrenching on?
4: Well, I, I was very, very lucky because I had the opportunity to earn my living fixing bikes quite early on in my career. I mean, when I was 17 years old, so that was late 78, I was working on bikes for a living at the local bike shop. Um,
1: Hold on, Knox's so, got to go. Let's say goodnight, Knox. Good seeing oh, you, Knox. Oh, goodnight, Knox.
3: I'll be back. I'm going to grab some food, and I'll be back in a little bit. All right, bye. Oh, fair uh,
4: Ciao. Do wheelies. Get yeah. your hair cut, you hippie dude
3: it's it's fuck it's so long i can't deal with it i just can't deal with it. <laughs> you, long
4: hair you look be free. like a beatnik darling hey man <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a hep cat
1: so it wasn't was it yeah. that you cut your teeth on one of the bikes you owned or you just got into the what shop kind of and a got there
4: because you know money was tight so you had to learn how to fix them um the first bike that I really felt I knew I was doing, I had a Suzuki GT 550, which was also a two-stroke triple, which I came upon. The, I was still 17 years old when I had that. And it was a big deal after the, after the Kawasaki, because the Kawasaki had about 25 horsepower. The Suzuki had double that. And it was big big and it was loud and it was fast and it was pea green as well factory um (laughs) wait your
1: pea is green yes have you have you been hanging out at new idrea
4: uh yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i i really learned a lot on that bike i learned how to decoke a bike i learned how to decarbonize mufflers take the heads off clean the inside of the cylinder head set timing balance carburetors um you know, a lot of the, just the, the basic stuff. Um, the handling was so marginal on it, as a lot of these early Japanese bikes were. It was a 73, so the handling was just awful, factory. But you soon learn the effects of having loose head bearings or low tire pressures. You learnt sort of cause and effect because it was so marginal to begin with if your tire pressures were like five psi low the thing would throw you off <laughs> so you learn preventative maintenance just to be able to keep this thing safe nice see and, yeah.
1: and do we have any um two stroke triples here in the us we did oh, we, yeah. have the, we
4: have we had the kh you didn't mm-hmm. have the kh i don't think um I know they sold them in Canada. You had the Suzukis. Um, the 550 was the middle ground. The the baby was the 380. Then you had the 550, and then the uh, the big boy was the Water Buffalo. All
1: right, I'm putting that on my future future bike list. I want a two-stroke triple. That just
4: sounds they're quite interesting perfect. to ride. There's nothing quite like them. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that sounds like a triple. Don't they have uh, names like the Widowmaker and things like that? <laughs> well, the, Widowma- the Widowmaker was a name that was kind of thrown around a lot. Um, yeah. I thought that was the Kawasaki, but, wasn't it? Well, yeah. you know, the Kawasaki kind of rightfully earned that, the H1, because it yeah. had all the power and none of the handling. Yep. Um, and they actually, they they kind of changed that name to the H2 when it came out. The H1 was a 500, and the H2 was a 750. But the 750 was almost a more civilized bike than the 500. The 500 was was very visceral. Um, The 750, Kawasaki had learned a lot about power delivery and handling by the time the first 750 had come out. It was three years after the 500, and it was a very different bike.
2: Um, I was trying to remember, was the issue with the handling, was it the frame itself, or was it the suspension? Yeah, it was the frame itself. Yeah. Um, they, they had a high-speed wobble, didn't they? They had a low-speed wobble as well. They had a wobble <laughs>
0: bloody everywhere. Um, the It's that
4: power-to-weight ratio. You see, the thing is, if you look at the frame on a Triumph, it's very, very heavy gauge st- steel tube and then where you have like the headstock or where you have the swing arm mount it's big heavy cast pieces and what they do in the factory they kind of plug them together and actually braze them and it's a very very solid joint now the japanese manufacturers figured out this power to weight ratio thing so If you make your bike lighter, it's going to go faster. So they were experimenting with thinner gauge steel. And maybe, you know, the quality of the steel wasn't as good. And as well, you know, styling became important. You know, English bikes, as handsome as they are, you kind of got what you got. It was very much they were beautiful because of function.
2: Well, look at the Rickman frames. I think that's a great example.
4: Right, exactly. Rickman is a beautiful bike, but it's beautiful, born out of functionality, and it became beautiful. If you look at like a Z1 or an H2, they're beautiful bikes because they were built that way. And in order to build a bike beautiful, sometimes you have to do a few kind of corner cuttings with curves on the frame and maybe we should have a straight edge you've got a curved edge and that lends flexibility so you know all of these early japanese bikes that i cut my teeth on really had a fearsome reputation for bad handling and they knew how to make all the power
1: so nice there you go it's on my list now hey and joining us just in time to start reading emails it's award-winning mike what's up mike What's up, Mike?
7: Coming, coming to you live from the beach with hey. the
1: family. Hey, hey, friend.
4: you really are at the hey, beach. So, hey, Marie. do you have any? Do you have any further questions for me, like about my early yeah. biking days?
0: No, I like, wanted, I like,
1: I like, I like that we did the first, and I think we'll do some more of these series, and I'll come up with a different theme, and we'll we'll get some more stuff out of it.
2: I have a question. Yeah. Yes. Can I can I get one more in there? Sure. What well, yeah, more of is one more one of the. What was one of the first kind of daredevil-y things you did, like where you realized, I'm going to have some fun? Because like, I, I know you I know some of your stories. I know you've ridden fast. I know you've done some things. What was kind of well, the, the first, first memorable, crazy the, thing the, you did? The first...
4: First time real... you scared yourself, maybe? Oh, yeah. Well, the first time I'd really scare myself. So back in seventy nine um it was at 18 18 yes yeah okay yes i bought myself a suzuki gs 1000 mm-hmm. and i bought it from a guy called salvatore sacco who was a <laughs> yeah i mean it's amazing that i can remember his name <laughs> after all these years
2: i think he's something a, Sounds he's like a, he's a Greek Ital- herpetologist
4: no he's italian and um I figured out how to wheelie that thing very, very quickly. (laughs) And the trouble is it's a thousand CC bike and yeah, I mean, it's only got 90 horsepower, but 90 horsepower is plenty. And it's a big heavy thing. So when you're wheelieing a giant thousand CC bike, number one, it's a handful, but number two, you're moving quite quickly. So, you know, you, you'd have like your friend's mum driving down the road and I'd come scorching past on the back wheel doing about 90 <laughs> fighting this thing and I got quite a reputation in my hometown so um, and you know it kind of followed on a love of big Suzukis which really manifests itself with the RF900 it's a fitting legacy mm. and yeah I love British bikes but <clears throat> dang I love big Suzukis as well. there's nothing. Quite develops power like a big air-cooled or oiled-cooled
2: Suzuki. The blood, especially if Barry things. Sheen's on it, right? If Barry yeah. Sheen's on it, that's the best Suzuki. <laughs>
4: right, exactly. Number seven. That's the best Suzuki of all. So there you go, Jim. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's it was a long time ago, um, and truthfully, I never thought it would last as long as it has. But really, it's been my life. I never intended it
2: to be. But oh, I could ask you, que- I could ask Emma questions all day.
4: Yeah, but well, he, yeah, yeah, here I am, forty-two, forty-three years later, and I'm still dicking around with these things. I love no, them.
1: I I appreciate you answering these questions. I appreciate you giving us a pause uh, so we can read emails. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll do home. some more. <laughs> we'll do some more. Yeah, I know, Miss Emma. Shows, but we got a lot of good emails and some of them are people who need some questions answered. So, um, but oh, this fair is, enough, first Ken. one, I just
7: came here to fact check Emma's story. So you
1: know. <laughs> thanks Mike. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like they do is, at The mate.
7: RNC, I'm going to make sure it's all legit. Cause I heard that damn story already and I know the <laughs> truth. So I'm just here to keep you fucking honest.
4: Yeah. Well, that's okay, Mike. And I really appreciate that, mate. Someone's gotta do it. Gangster. Uh,
1: these first first emails though are in response to some recent topics. Uh, and this one is from our friend Alan Smith. Alan. Hey, Alan. Alan Alan. Alan. Alan Alan, no, it's Steve.
2: <laughs> Alan, Alan is quite it. possibly the best chariot pilot ever, by the way. <laughs> yeah. but it's a different Alan. This is the this is long range Alan. I was thinking it. Yeah, the this other is long Alan. range Alan. Oh, and right.
1: he says, um, I'd like to add on some more tips to a previous podcast uh, when you were talking about loading motorcycles in pickup trucks or trailers. Uh, If there's a shallow ditch or depression in the road, back into it to lower the back of the vehicle. Even lowering the back of my pickup truck six inches really helps. And yeah, that is a good tip. Um, And then response uh, to the episode when you're talking about the best looking bikes. So he said, so the second best looking bike ever made after the britain because that was how the question was posed <laughs> his vote goes to the 1980 vetter mystery ship the one that he owns oh, oh.
2: wow yes yeah. hats off to the vetter mystery ship that's a doozy
1: yep there you go
2: <laughs> all the Vetter stuff but that's a great one good one nice. Alan. Thanks. Well, we did talk about the uh, other Vetter, the uh, Hurricane, didn't mm-hmm. we? Yeah, the oh, Hurricane. That one came up. Uh, yeah. You
4: know, I think the Hurricane deserves a mention because... For sure. The, the, you know, the, the bike it was based on was so unspeakably ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's
1: uh, and, another and, and triple. It,
2: it is. Isn't and it? it was in a Guggenheim art exhibit. Yep. So yes. The oh, only wow. bike I think we mentioned that was actually figured, featured by the Guggenheim.
1: Yeah. Cool. All right. So, um, and this is from Michael Leonard and he also. Michael. A response to the best looking bike says, just listen to your debate about the prettiest bike. And I thought I'd email my head's pace for judgment, not my favorite bike, but I was reading a review of a Ducati scrambler desert sled and the review reviewer was actually insulting the design. When they said, if you asked an eight year old to draw a motorcycle, this is what they would draw. I remember reading that and thinking that sounds like a great compliment. I've been judging when he a- when he asked him,
0: an eight year old, uh, yeah, an, an eight year old, okay. draw a
1: motorcycle. That's what it would look like. <laughs> yeah, uh, would he says, I've been judging every single motorcycle I look at against that criteria. So for me, that bike is a 1975 Honda CB 750, because yeah. that is how I would have drawn a motorcycle at eight years old. Double mufflers on both sides, flat seat, naked. Its profile is just in my mind as motorcycle. Yep. Yeah. I'll that's buy a good that. One. And I think that desert sled is a really badass looking bike.
2: That thing looks sick. It's it's yeah, the type of bike when cool I see it bike. makes
1: me just want to throw a leg over.
2: I like that. Until one. you see the maintenance schedule, yeah. Florida.
4: Florida. Yeah You know, the whole Remember notion that's... of using the eight year old drawing as yeah. an insult. A great British insult is if you want to You know you describe somebody who's had too much to drink saying they have a face made out of red play-doh by an (laughs) eight-year-old
1: what what were you gonna say
7: mike oh yeah the desert sled in uh oregon up at the one show yeah 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 Yeah. good looking Cool, i like him my my daughter says the ufc fighters have play-doh face Mashed potato. Go, mashed potato. <laughs> Put him in the pretzel. Put him in the pretzel. Put him to sleep. Like, He's oh, got Play Doh face. Nice. He's got Play Doh <laughs> face. She's not lying. There wow. you go, you see? Great minds.
1: So this next one is from uh, Philip in Denver. It says, Yo, hey, dudes, love you. Love you the got- show. He says, I have a question about safety. I have a ooh, new ooh. Kawasaki Z900. I put a a full exhaust on, and it means so, it is so mean. It sounds like a sack of murder hornets giving it to an R3 up the pipe without consent. They say loud pipes save lives, which makes sense to an extent, but I still find that I need to use my horn, which brings me to what What? I want to ask you about today. The stock horn is not very loud. Have you upgraded a horn on your bike, and how do you feel about it? Air horns. I yes. want it to be loud. So loud that if I blew it next to a woman who was seven months pregnant, she would go into labor. So loud that it would register on the Richter scale at Mount Hamilton Lick Observatory. So loud that if I hit it in Denver, the hair would fall off of the Bigfoot models at that Bigfoot Museum off of Highway 9 in Felton.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think he's been here. I
1: think he's been here, and he says, "I will recommend yeah.
0: the Stebel Nautilus, 139 decibels of wake the fuck up."
4: Period. And you know where is that, I go? It's not is sound. That a self-contained electric horn, or is that actually an air horn with trumpets?
0: It is a self-contained air horn. Oh, okay, it has the compressor and horn all together. It does require a relay because it draws so much power.
4: Well, all horns do. Once you get above a yeah. certain um how much real estate does that take up because i don't think he's got
0: the same amount of real estate that you have well um here is the horn from a steeple nautilus horn oh it's like there's, there's a, a canon camera a compressor. Yeah, there's a com- right there. yeah there's a compressor that'll sit right in here this is one that was busted and i took mm-hmm. part but i would say it's probably about six inches by six inches by three inches yeah and, and it has a handy uh bolt mount so you can bolt it right onto wherever you could bolt anything onto your frame Okay. Beagle, you say that to all the ladies.
4: He does, doesn't <laughs> he? He's a silver-tongued cavalier.
0: Hey,
2: I just say what works. Um, well, there you go. Yes. Well, you know, what, here, here's my comment on that: is I, I don't think I've ever used my horn for safety reasons. I always yell I before I, I hit always, the horn. I don't even know where my horn <laughs> is. To be honest with oh, you, if I got to use my horn, I'm already kind of fucked
8: the best thing to do is not necessarily rely on sound it's to be visible other ways Wearing uh, right. high high vis gear is a great option putting a headlight modulator on your bike putting yellow lights on your bike uh, right is helpful because people see those and they're like oh what's that and makes them actually pay attention mm-hmm. to you um if you're having to rely on sound a lot of the times uh, sound doesn't travel quite as fast as you think it will so that uh, isn't going to work as well as you hope it will. Yeah.
1: So. Uh, and I Sounds agree.
7: preemptive. Uh,
1: for me, it is about lighting and visibility because – you don't want to be reacting to somebody's action. You want to prevent. The, you want to prevent their action.
2: Yeah, yeah. You, you have yeah. to pretend you're invisible. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're straight up invisible. So yeah, maneuver. Don't use but, your um, horn. That'd be my advice. But
4: yeah, ju- I mean, I'm sure he wants to upgrade the horn. the The advice I'd give: by all means, do it. Do it through a relay, as Bagel says. But remember. Be careful where you bolt a horn that is larger than the one you've got. If it's anywhere around the bottom triple tree, make sure it doesn't encroach on the fender because yeah. if the first time you do an emergency stop, your front fender gets smashed up by the horn, not a good look. Conversely, the other place for the horn is, you know, right around the frame under the front of the gas tank. But remember, There's a lot of heat coming off the pipes. So if you get it too close to the pipes, you're going to melt it. So think carefully where you're going to put a larger horn.
1: Well, and I'll share this story. I've shared it before, but I had just bought a new to me, a used bike. It was the BMW, the 1100 RT. And I was out riding it and somebody started to cut me off and I reached for that horn and I hit it. And next thing I know... I'm about to be hit from behind by a semi, and I my reaction was to leap from the bike. Fortunately, I didn't leap because I then realized it was my own horn that I heard and not a semi, but it was so loud, and it was mounted like underneath the seat that to my ears, it sounded like there was a semi coming up behind me. And my, oh my reaction God. was to jump in the air away from the bike. So <laughs> you just be careful where you mount it. <laughs> um, but he does yep. have... One more thing to say. Oh, he says, "Oh, and Emma is right."
4: Stretch boosa for the win.
2: (laughs) Uh, Right.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone loves a stretch boosa. Well said. (laughs) said. Nice.
2: We saw some cool bikes in Florida.
1: Oh, this is a good one, Um, Micah. You're going to enjoy this one. Uh, This one is from Scott and Cordelia. He says. Hey, everyone. I know this is an this is inconsequential given the fires raging right now and so many of you evacuated or having lost your homes. And I wish nothing for the best of you all. Um, but uh, I still think this is something positive, so I want to share it. And this is exactly when you share something positive. Uh, he says, "I was out with a friend at some MX races this weekend. Uh, I've never been to an MX race before. In the oh, little cool. kid classes, more than half the participants were girls. My friend, whose son races, said, "That's normal with this racing group." so great that so many parents are getting their little girls in the hobby those little girls are going to grow up with kids of their own and motorcycling won't be some dangerous evil sport it'll be something their kids are brought up into we're going to have more riders a bigger community more support for vendors and manufacturers and it was just awesome to see thank you for the part you and all the misfits play in encouraging women to ride which surely filters down to women helping their daughters ride and dads being more open to helping their daughters ride my best to you all. and yeah and like to mike who's raising a daughter with bikes you know who is going to feed that too so that is such a cool thing to see i'm so glad so many parents are getting their kids into that and that is going to be the future of motorcycling right there yes That's awesome yeah so Love thank that. you for sharing that all right got a couple more oh here we go uh let's see jim i think you'll appreciate this one
2: <clears throat> okay
1: uh, this one is from our friend Rowdy Reimer. Oh, hey, Rowdy!
6: Rowdy. Huh. Oh, I.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says, I'm currently listening to Podcast 379, where Jim is explaining how the name Devil's Tower comes from a mistranslation of a Native American name for that formation. And this reminds me of a story behind the naming of a very small town in Texas named Mobidi says, according Mo-beety. to the story, Mobiti was originally named Sweetwater. And when the town got its first post office, it was brought to the attention of the folks there that the name Sweetwater had already been taken and they needed to come up with another name. So someone got the idea of asking a Native American what the equivalent word for Sweetwater was in their language. The response, Mobidi. Little did the town's folk know, but Mobiti actually means buffalo shit.
2: that's awesome he says
1: i have no idea if the story is actually true but having spent a good deal of my childhood living in towns nearby i kind of like to think that
0: it is
2: i'm gonna name my next pet mobity mobity that's
0: great that's awesome they got trolled into naming their town buffalo shit
2: that's true
1: (laughs) i know all right we got one more uh this one is from ryan uh ryan thomas he says hey misfits i'm from uh, i'm from missoula montana and i just recently started listening to your show i've been enjoying it greatly and i've been listening to five or six episodes a day trying to get caught up
2: whoa (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not even winter time 10
1: to 12 hours wow (laughs) hasn't even snowed yet wow he says the the early episodes no we should send him a prize yeah, I didn't us that much. Well, here, we can help him out, because he needs our help. He has a question. He says, "Okay, I'm in quite the situation. I've got my first commissioned frame-off build, but in the middle of my build a few months ago, I was forced to vacate as a house I was renting sold, along with my luxurious two-car garage. I had to put the entire project on hold for what felt like forever while I packed and tried to find a new place to live. Fortunately, my client has been very understanding, and now I'm in a two-bedroom apartment apartment quietly scrubbing away at the engine i can't i managed to sneak past my landlord and neighbors i'm saying fuck it and getting it done no matter what i can't afford to rent my own shop space yet but that's the goal uh but for now the bike i'm building is a 1977 xl 350 and i'm going with an upturned brat style seat and i'm going to keep the original paint on the tank because it has great patina i'm just going with several coats of clear on that It will be getting clip-ons and a set of CB-length forks. Should rip stoplight to stoplight. I'm still trying to figure out how to make a ventilated mini welding paint booth in my kitchen, so I'm not sure how that's going to work yet. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Uh, And he says, anyway, you you guys are inspiring me to keep it going and I really appreciate all of you. I'll keep you updated and and I'll send pictures when it's done. Every once in a while, my girl will let me borrow her 1972 XL 250 to go for a ride to get my riding fix in. Uh, I also have a 1979 CB 750 that I bought as a complete pile of parts for 240 bucks that I will be attempting to assemble after I'm done with the 350. So, indoor painting, uh, what do you guys think?
4: no
0: not a good deep idea deep.
4: good way of getting high um a good i, way, a good
1: I, I way do have losing advice in your apartment too i do have <laughs> advice on this um you can get the pop-up tents and you can hang sheets around the sides to keep the wind down and to keep the you know the, the blow you know you don't want too much blow and you can use the train the frame to hang stuff down so even if you have to like set up in your yard or uh, in a friend's driveway or something you can do pretty good rattle can work if you can control the air movement wouldn't you agree with that emma
4: oh yeah um you know it's it's all about air movement and temperature Mm -hmm. and you know um missola has got a fairly fairly stable climate so I think if you if you pick your days, I mean, the whole of the Midwest, you know, you can say, okay, it's summertime, so we're going to get this. It's fall, so we're going to get this. Um, but yeah, don't paint inside, mate. You'll you'll literally do your head in.
1: Ooh, I'll go one better. If you can find a construction site with a porta potty, there's your painting. Booth. Ooh,
0: <laughs> there you go. Oh. Uh, they, nighttime paint jobs. <laughs> there you go. Make sure you roll it out by five a.m. Hey, exactly. You, and, there's, um, there's a guy on
7: my road on Brantso 40. He just set up a paint booth right on the road and you could see it. Cause he had it open. And he was sanding this car down for the past two days. And then I'm sitting there thinking like people come ripping by and I'm like, I know what he's trying to do, Yeah. but I mean like there's just like dust and all the, I mean, this guy was like meticulously sanding this thing down and trying to make it legit. But I'm like, he's literally a foot and a half away from like cars ripping by. <laughs>
0: yeah. And That's then like, w- I, is that the guy with all the Corvettes and Jeeps out there. Yes, yeah, yeah you I know, know the cool. guy.
7: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I passed by and I saw a car ripping by me, in front of me, past it, and the whole thing was shaking, and I was like, <laughs> Oh my god, that guy's in there sanding and trying to keep dust down. They, they all he's doing is just blowing dust and brake brake dust all over the vehicle. So.
1: And I'm going to give you another option. If you're talking about, um, you know, frame, uh, not tins, but frame uh, pegs, any of that kind of stuff, everyone has a local powder coater. Yeah. And you can go get it powder-coated. And if you're looking for a deal, if you're getting it black and you tell them you're willing to wait for the next job they're doing and they can do this on the side, you can get a pretty good price on it.
0: Yep.
4: Yeah, and you know, I'm tempted to get him to say the same thing on the tank. If he gets chummy with a local paint shop and just say, hey man, I need you to flash over some semi-gloss clear over the top of this. Um, and throw the guy twenty
7: or thirty bucks. Yeah, they'll probably do it. And well, then you don't need to way- be a good welder if you got a good powder coat guy, you know? Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> right, because it fills in. It fills in. It fills in the bird shit marks.
1: <clears throat> so there, there's are some good tips, and I think we've done a lot of these. I mean, I have an auto part or a, a auto body down the street, and I've knocked on their door and said, "Hey, um, what colors are you shooting this week?" I got something I'm looking to get done, you know? And um, it's really, it's all about the prep and then the the sanding, polishing afterwards. The painting, um, it's not that hard to do. It's really about all the work you do before and after.
4: Right, and it's, it's tempting, especially if you're trying to make a name for yourself out of the box, to do it all yourself. And in truth... Somebody like me, who's made a very, very good living about fixing bikes Mm -hmm. and, you know, still churns out show winning bikes. I've got a network of people. Yeah. And I, although I know how to, I don't paint anymore. It's too much hassle. So this guy does my paint. This guy does my polishing. This guy does my chroming. This guy does my powder coating. And this is a network I've built up. And it's not just because of the hassle. So it's it's so I don't stink out the house, you know, shooting a frame or, you know, set up a chroming.
7: If I was going to buy a house, I'd rather buy a house from, you know, people who built it with the, you know, individual trades who do what they do very well than one guy who's pretty good at everything. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, and I yeah, will tell you another like, thing is painting. Oh fuck, a bunch of painting. If this <laughs> he's trying to paint at his house right now. Let me tell you something about painting in your house. You ever hear fucking wet sanding your fairings in a tub? Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> fun. Yeah, Mike. Knows it all about sucks. It. Oh, um, fucking horrible. And then if you're gonna do it, don't get the cheap paint. You got to buy automotive paint. And yeah. then like they mm-hmm. said, you got to polish it. You got to get all the stuff to buff and polish. After it's like fuck that, man. Bring um, it to somebody. So- yeah. Let yeah. me tell
4: you, nothing stinks like automotive paint. Nothing on the face of the earth.
1: And that's coming from Marsha
4: Ass Blaster
1: Um, and he has uh, one more thing he says as far as my up the butt bike I'm I'm torn between a west coast chopper CFL 3 and that's when Jesse was still building them and an MV Augusta F4 LH44 my cost is high but I promise whoever would do this deal that they're getting a bargain I'm sure I will quickly forget about the how of getting one of those bikes when I get done riding the one I get and realize I filled my pants from the back and the front (laughs) <laughs> oh oh, God. God. Oh Thanks, Ryan. He says, "P.S. Liza, your CX500 Turbo sounds like a blast, and it is. I'm I'm really I'm really happy that that turned out to be a good experience writing the CX500. Um, yeah. yeah, I wrote it a bit uh, last week." during in the smoke it was a good escape um so those are great emails ryan i'm glad you found us keep us up to date with your project i'd like to hear more about it and um i think that that's it for us guys we've you know had a good weekend um like i said go out and ride it helps you forget about everything and uh yeah that, that's what I got.
4: What do you guys got? Any closing statements? Well, you know, my therapy is always building. And I'm, you know, everybody knows I'm, I'm in hog heaven now because I've got a British bike back in my life. <clears throat> and um, I'm doing it in a very, very Emma style. I'll post some pictures of progress thus far. Um, I couldn't be happier. Nice. And it's going to have a big Union Jack on it.
6: <laughs>
1: so yeah, everyone out there um thank you very much for your emails. Uh thank you to our new Patreon sponsors. So appreciate that. Oh, um, Patreon
4: guys, you guys are the cream of humanity. Everyone else is down there watching you all <laughs> pass by. Yeah, thank I
1: you. I use some uh Patreon money and uh <laughs> upgraded the stools all the little rolling stools we had all those little oh, mechanic did. stools and i know that was i awesome. tore them all apart yeah. and bought brand new ones and put them out there and it's always nice to get new stuff in there uh so thank you for that that, um, that money helps me keep new stuff coming in and um I think that's it. Uh, just a reminder, and, if you'd like a Motorcycles and Misfits t-shirt, I got that new batch in. Just send me a PayPal payment of $25 to RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com with the size that you need and I will get it sent out. So you guys, and, uh, yeah, Bagel?
0: Yeah, I just want to say, um, I have just one more thought I wanted to share. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to give thanks that we are all safe mm-hmm. and that we made it through this <laughs> uh, this crazy past week. Um, because literally like 25% of our County burned and, um, you know, this could have been, could have been even worse than it was. So I want to just give gratitude that, that we're all okay and we're healthy and safe and we can go forward. And our friends who did lose things in this, um, you know, we're, we're standing with them and and helping out where we can and, and making sure that they're able to, to keep going forward and, and that they they'll get back to where they need to be.
1: And I would like um, to say uh, on on one last thing. If you saw the post I shared on Facebook about the uh, the the jackass who stole the wallet from a fireman while he was fighting the fires and cleaned yeah. out his bank account, I just want you to know they caught the motherfucker.
4: Yep. Oh yeah, great, right.
1: motherfucker! They caught him and he's red-handed and he admitted it and he's an asshole. That's it. Okay. Did you have something to say, Emma? Um,
4: I did. And as a parting gift, Mm -hmm. September is just around the corner. And I have a message for September. Oh yeah. I don't want any trouble out of you You yes. come in You sit down You
0: sh- shut up Don't try anything September We're watching you Yeah you're on notice September
2: Right So se- September just said oh that's okay I'm saving it up for November
4: Oh, <laughs> oh my
2: gosh oh. <laughs> Lord have mercy Get out ride motorbikes Social distance and have fun all yes, right. exactly.
0: Thank you, we'll
1: everyone, for listening. This is Liza.
2: Emma, darling. Mm-hmm. Bagel. Charlie. Mike. Micah. And Mike. Ah! <laughs> Make <laughs> it Jim, son.
1: And we are out of here. Cool, cool. Cool, cool.
2: cool, cool. cool, cool.